Hello and welcome to this pre-recorded service coming to you from Church of the Palms in Sarasota, Florida for Sunday, December 13th. This Sunday is the third Sunday of Advent. It's the Sunday where we, vi- we light the candle of joy. And we pray that our shared worship provides for you a meaningful opportunity to worship God. You might take a few minutes at the beginning of the service to consider how to best make yourself ready to worship, be that by removing distractions, preparing your space, or simply breathing deeply. Let us open our hearts and minds as we enjoy the prelude. Today, the third Sunday of Advent, we will light the candle that represents joy. Listen now to the words of great joy from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. 
And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. We light this candle today in preparation for the coming of Christ. Let us worship God. The message of Advent is that Jesus came that we might be redeemed and changed. But sometimes we get so caught up in the season, we can become forgetful how close Jesus wants to draw us during this time. So we need to open our eyes to his love and his grace, and knowing that he stands ready to hear and accept and forgive us, let us confess together our sins. Gracious God, like the flowers of the field, our faithfulness wavers, blowing with every breeze and withering in the heat. We are inconstant, imperfect. We proclaim compassion, but leave those in the valley low, crying out for bread. We proclaim justice, but leave the lofty high above the lowly. We proclaim the Lord with our lips, but do not prepare the way with our lives. Forgive our hypocrisy and level our hearts, O Lord, 
that we might serve you in Jesus' name. Amen. The good news of Advent is the coming of Christ, who loves us, who forgives us. He comes not to punish, but to give us peace, not to judge, but to save us. Thanks be to our Lord Christ. So friends, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. The Apostles' Creed is the heart and soul of our faith, so let us share it together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. This is the time for us to pass the peace. It would be so nice to be able to do it in this sanctuary, but we know that in so many homes, you are not only greeting and passing the peace to one another, but you're thinking about and praying for others in our congregation. So let's take this moment to pass the peace together. Welcome again to this pre-recorded worship for Sunday, December 13th, the third Sunday of Advent. There are a few opportunities this week for you to prepare for Christmas. First, you can honor uh, or remember someone you love by sponsoring Christmas flowers, and the deadline to do so is tomorrow, Monday, December 14th. If you visit our website and go to the events page, you'll see how you can sign up and donate there any amount 
fact is welcome. Second, this Wednesday the 16th, Wednesday Night Life's offering, The Music of Advent, concludes in our final discussion, which will be hosted by Dr. Steve McConnell and music director Geneviève Bouchon. And they're exploring the details that have made GF Handel's The Messiah such a lasting piece, as well as sharing insights on the text. So hope you might join them for that. You can visit our website again, the events page, to register for the class. It's at 6.30 p.m. this Wednesday, and it's on Zoom. So you can join that no matter where you are. Third, there continues to be a need for bell ringers, about a dozen or so left, as soon as tomorrow, Monday the 14th, and leading right up to Christmas Eve. You can register for two-hour shifts. Again, that's found in that same section, the events section of our website. You can also call the church office to sign up to ring the bells for the Salvation Army. As I'm sure you well know, we've seen a little uptick in COVID numbers in our community. So we ask that while you're on our campus, you continue to follow the safety guidelines. They're such an important part of how we can take care of each other during this time. In addition, we want to make sure that you know that if you're on our campus and then test positive, we ask that you would reach out to one of our pastors, regardless of whether you're symptomatic. We'll do our best then to contact anyone who may have been exposed. Please know that we'll strive to maintain confidentiality. You know, both your health and your privacy matters a great deal to us, so please do let us know. We, of course, hope that doesn't come up, but wanted to make sure you knew uh, what to do if it did. Lastly, it's hard to believe, but we're just a little more than a week away from Christmas, and there are a number of ways you can worship with us. First, we have our longest night service on December 21st. It's at 6 p.m. in the Campus Center, and it's a really meaningful experience if you've never been, uh, especially for this year, for those who are grieving and for those for whom this season is exhausting and a little bit sad. Um, you do need to please register for that service on our website. Uh, again, that's Monday, December 21st at 6 p.m. And then I invite you to check either the bulletin, uh, which is on the website, or our website for our other various Christmas services. There is the Christmas Eve Eve service on Siesta Key Beach on uh, the 23rd. And then on Christmas Eve, we have a 3 p.m. meditative service here in the sanctuary. Uh, you need to register for that one. And then there are services at 5, 7, and 9. And they'll be outside in the courtyard under the stars, under the lights. And um, we'll wear masks, but we'll be able to sing carols and uh, celebrate the Christmas story together. There is a diff additional service online about each of those opportunities. And as we continue to prepare and wait in anticipation for the coming of Christmas, we thought it might be fun and we would love it if you would give us a window into your homes by sending us a picture of any crushes you might have. So just take a picture and with you in it or not, either way is fine, but send it to Jackie Gomez, which is jgomez at churchofthepalms.org. Send us pictures of your crushes and then we'll share those with the congregation. So we, we are excited about that. And in that spirit, I had the opportunity today to visit the home of Bill and Dottie Tile, where I took a picture of their beautiful crush and learned a little bit about a very important Christmas tradition that they have. So I hope you'll enjoy this video again with Bill and Dottie Tile sharing one of their family's most special Christmas traditions. 
I'm Daddy Tile, and this is my wonderful husband of Bill 55 Tyler. years, Bill Tile. <laughs> well, we started collecting um, 44 years ago when we were back up in a suburb of Chicago in Western Springs. And we had seen the original piece at a, there was a big floral shop that carried all sorts of Christmas decorations. And the church looked exactly like the church that we attended. We already knew we were gonna be heading eventually to Florida. So we bought it. That, we said that's always gonna have a lot of meaning for us. And we didn't know at the time that it is the original church by Bachman, which is prior to the Snow Village, before there were any Snow Village pieces. Bachman's own company has no record of that church even being made. Well, of course, you can't just have one. <laughs> they always have some meaning for us. You know, one of the first uh, pieces we bought was the house that was right across the street from the church, because it reminded us so much of the village that we came from. Now we have 84 of the large houses. So it, it takes about, what, three weeks to get it up. This is the mastermind of the electrical part of it. I'm the designer, because <laughs> it never goes up the same. It's different every year. Totally different every year. So it's been really, really important to um, our children. They had to bring all their friends over to see it too. And now our two sons bring in their families to see it too. It's been a tradition in the neighborhood where our neighbors are bringing their grandchildren you know, to see because they remember it when they were growing up and now we got grandchildren coming. It's so cute. They all come dressed in their Christmas dresses and have their pictures taken by the village. So it takes a lot of thought because it's always, it always has sort of like a story for the year, you know, what we're doing. It is the story of our life. And it sure is.
let us pray. Gracious God, on this third Sunday of Advent, we are eagerly looking for the future and for Christ to come. We are rejoicing today that the Lord is near, but there are also unusual worries in our hearts. In this season when patience always runs low, when the daylight is short, when our stress level is high, we pause to give you thanks for the love you have for us and for knowing that you are here with us in our sufferings. We pray that you would help us be more attentive to our surroundings, to our neighbors, and foremost, to you. Help us be more attentive in every little task we do, as we drive on the roads, as we mindlessly scroll on the internet, as we simply walk. Guide us as we form different expectations for our holidays this year in this time of pandemic. Be especially with those who feel a sense of desperation on the first Christmas they spend unemployed or in isolation. Be with the families that are affected by COVID-19, those who are hospitalized and just wanting to take a simple and easy breath with no assistance. Be with the families who grieve. We lift today the people who work in hospitals, nurses and doctors, those who assist with food, transport, who prepare and clean, who show up every day despite being exhausted. We pray for all the little children, especially those who carry more weight on their frail shoulders, appease their worried hearts. We lift the leaders of our country, as well as all the world leaders, that they may feel your guidance as they in turn guide us out of this worldwide pandemic. We pray for those who serve in the military and who are away from home this month. In the same way Joseph and Mary were all alone on the night the Son of God was born, fill our quiet Christmas this year with your Holy Spirit and let us adore the Christ child fully and give him all the glory knowing that it is your joy that strengthens us. We lift all our concerns to you and join together in the prayer your Son taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We now come to the time when we give thanks to God with our offerings. The methods to give are listed on your screen. And please know that we are so grateful for your generosity and that through your support, we continue to give glory to God by bringing light to those who need it most and to walk alongside the hungry and those who are in need the most. Let us give 
with joyful hearts.
Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, thank you that you are the light of the world, guiding our steps on our Advent path. Your word says that the earth is yours and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to you. We recognize everything we have belongs to you. We acknowledge that our very lives belong to you. We now offer back to you a portion of what you have given us. Use these gifts for your kingdom, we pray. May God the Father prepare our journey, Jesus the Son guide our footsteps, and the Holy Spirit watch over us on every path that we follow. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. Okay, so this is the time when all the kids gather together around your screens from all across the world, or so we hope. Today, we're going to talk about something I used to hate when I was a kid, patience, as in be patient. Don't you hate it when your parents or teachers tell you to be patient? No, you can't have a cookie. Supper is in 30 minutes, be patient. No, you can't go to Tyler's house. His family is on quarantine for one more week. Be patient. But you know the worst, the hardest one of all might be the way those presents start to pile up under the tree right about now. What kind of mean joke is that? Oh, look at all those beautiful presents under the tree, but don't touch. Two more weeks, be patient. Do you know what the definition of patience is? Waiting with a good attitude. Waiting with a good attitude. So if you're just waiting, but whining and rolling your eyes and complaining and frowning and sighing and arguing, you're not being patient, are you? Let me tell you something that might help. As you probably know, we have a name for the season that we are in, the month that leads up to Christmas. Do you know what it's called? What? Right, Advent, that's right. It involves four Sundays, and this is the third one today. So we are able to organize our long wait for Christmas so it doesn't seem so bad, so we can be more patient. This man in the Bible was called John, and he was the one who showed us how it was done. He prepared things for the coming of Jesus. He drummed up the excitement levels so people wouldn't be bored or impatient. He kept saying, Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming. Just like right now, we're waiting for December 25th, not just for all those beautiful presents, but for the one whose birthday we are celebrating, and that is Jesus. So here's our test of patience. Can we wait for the coming of the baby Jesus on Christmas Day with not just a good attitude, but with excitement? Can I tell you a secret? We all look forward to the presents under the tree, even us old people. But let's enjoy lots of other Christmas things like Christmas hugs and laughs and just feel the excitement in the air. And guess what? you can have a cookie while you wait. Let's pray. Repeat after me. Dear Jesus, dear Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. 
Thank you for coming. As quickly as you can, as quickly as you can, we promise, we promise to be patient, to be patient. Amen. Thank you, kids. Good morning. It was such a treat to have GS Duo for our special music today. And you may remember that Jonathan and Angela just joined the church last month. So uh, what a blessing for us. The scripture passage today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Hear the word of God. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching his message was, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. People from Jerusalem and from all Judea and all over the Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptize, he denounced them. You brood of snakes, he exclaimed. Who warned you to flee the coming wrath? 
prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing, for I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not worthy even to be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into the barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Open our hearts and minds, O Lord, to the word just read and the words to come that, like John the Baptist, they might point to the word made flesh, Jesus the Christ. Amen. My husband and I recently binge-watched The Queen's Gambit on Netflix. I'm not sure if you've seen it, but it's a great story of a young girl named Beth who is sent to live in an all-girls orphanage after her mother died. She completes her math homework with such speed and accuracy that her teacher often sends her down to the basement to clean the erasers. In this creepy basement where you expect horrible things to happen, she meets one of the janitors, Mr. Scheibel, who is sitting at a chessboard playing against himself. Eventually, he teaches Beth how to play chess, and it turns out she's quite a prodigy. Now, I don't know a lot about chess. My brother taught me how to play when we were just kids. My brother is very smart, a strategic thinker, and four years older than I am. He, too, is competitive, which means that I was always annihilated. My response to losing a game, especially when I thought I might have just a slim chance of maybe winning, was to grab the board and flip it over and send all the knights and the bishops and the pawns sailing through the air. This, however, is a better story for the fruit of the spirit called self-control, which we'll get to in May. This month, as you just heard from Jonathan, we are talking about patience. In chess, you have to have a lot of patience for yourself because it's not easy and as you wait for your opponent to make their play. After we would make a play, we just called out, it's your move. I learned on the Queen's Gambit that for tournaments and serious play, there's a game clock that has two faces. After you make your play, you press the button on the clock and it starts the time for your opponent. One must finish their move and ultimately the game before she runs out of time. 
Well, John the Baptist must not have thought they had very much time because he impatiently shouted, repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. I hate when people yell, except maybe at a sporting event. Rabanus reminded the ancient church that people speak loudly for three reasons. When others are distant, deaf, or angry. The human race struggles with all three. At the heart of John's message is one little six-letter word, repent. He has pushed the button on our clock, and now it's up to us to respond before we run out of time. So I think it might be helpful to make sure we understand what John the Baptist is actually telling us to do. For those of us who grew up in the church, we're familiar with the word repent. We use it a lot during the season of Lent, but I don't hear bantered around too much at parties. Repentance means you're sorry, of course, but it must be backed by changed behavior. The essence of the word is turning around, starting over, and taking another direction. Think of a, a husband and a wife in a car. The, hus the wife tells her husband to turn right at the next intersection, and by mistake, he turns left. When he realizes what he's done, he says to his wife, I'm sorry, love, I went the wrong way. But if that's all he does, it isn't enough. His saying sorry isn't getting them any closer to where they want to be. It isn't even stopping them from getting farther away. To get where they want to be, he needs to stop the car, turn it around, and go back to the correct road that his wife told him to take in the first place. That is repentance. I began to wonder why this one act was such a key component in preparing for the kingdom of heaven. In all four Gospels, John proclaims a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin in order to prepare for the one whom John is unworthy to even carry his sandals. John also uses some strong judgment language in Matthew's Gospel, separating chaff from wheat, chopping down dead trees and throwing them all into that never-ending fire. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be one of those trees that's chopped down and thrown into the fire for not bearing good fruit. So in an effort to understand what Matthew might be trying to say to us today, I spent some time entering this story from each of the characters' perspectives. Have you ever done that? This is a spiritual practice that Anita Lustria and I used in our small groups, trying to engage with scripture in a very unique and powerful way. Well, first, it's kind of fun to imagine that we are John the Baptist, at least in his early days. Apart from Jesus Christ, John the Baptist is probably the most theologically significant figure in the Gospels. John became a bold, nonviolent movement leader who dared to challenge the establishment of his day and to call people to a life of radical social and spiritual rethinking. He was like a first century Paul Revere. The kingdom is coming, the kingdom is coming. 
To be John the Baptist, we see that there clearly is no dress code, so we're free from all pressure of fashion and style. He gives us a wonderful example of humility and passion as he points others to Jesus Christ. It is never about him. He says later in the Gospel of John, with great joy, he, Jesus, must increase, I must decrease. Each of us must find our own voice as we try to prepare hearts and minds to receive Jesus. My experience and personality is one that leans into actions being much louder and more authentic than words. But the word from John the Baptist was that God's judgment on the world was imminent, so you need to repent now. It's like the man, Matt, who received a parrot as a gift. The parrot had a bad attitude and an even worse vocabulary. Every word out of the parrot's mouth was rude, obnoxious, and laced with profanity. Matt tried and tried to change the bird's attitude by consistently saying only polite words, by playing soft music and anything he could think of to clean up the bird's language. Finally, Matt was fed up and he yelled at the parrot, and the parrot yelled back, and Matt shook the parrot, and the parrot got angrier and even more rude. In desperation, Matt grabbed the bird and put him in the freezer. For a few minutes, the parrot squawked and kicked and screamed. Then suddenly, there was total quiet. Not a peep was heard for over a minute. Fearing that he had hurt the parrot, Matt quickly opened the door to the freezer. The parrot calmly stepped out onto Matt's outstretched arm and said, I believe I may have offended you with my rude language and actions. I'm sincerely remorseful for all the inappropriate transgressions, and I fully intend to do everything I can to correct my rude and unforgivable behavior. Matt was stunned at the change in this bird's attitude. As he, as he was about to ask the parrot what had made such a dramatic change in his behavior, the bird continued, may I ask what the turkey did? I am not convinced that fear is effective for long-term change. True repentance comes from a changed heart from a relationship with Jesus, not from a motivation to avoid a certain fate. My favorite place to enter this story is by being one of the people who went out into the wilderness to see and hear John, to confess my sins, to repent and be baptized. Although John's message is strong, it does give me hope because I'm finally gonna own my own junk, I'm gonna give it up, and then be accepted and saved by the Messiah. Think about the patience these people had to have. They had not heard from a prophet for 400 years. They were curious about this preacher in the desert who was giving them a pathway to the Messiah. They were given a chance at life again. It's like the story of the two brothers who were once convicted of stealing sheep. In accordance with the brutal punishment of the day, they were branded on the forehead with the letters ST. 
which stood for sheep thief. One of the brothers, unable to bear the stigma, tried to bury himself in a foreign land. But men would ask him about the letters on his brow and what they meant. So he wandered from land to land, full of bitterness, until he died and was buried in a forgotten grave. But the other brother, who, who repented of his misdeed, did not go away from his home. He said to himself, I can't run away from the fact that I stole sheep, and here I will patiently remain until I win back the respect of my neighbors and myself. As the years passed by, he established a reputation for respectability and integrity. One day, a stranger in the town saw the old man with the letters ST branded on his forehead, and he asked a native what they signified. After thinking for a little time, the villager said, it all happened a great while ago, and I've forgotten the particulars, but I think the letters are an abbreviation of saint. The opposite of saint and the people I never want to hitch my wagon to in these Bible stories are the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They are so self-righteous. They use their position and power to exclude and hurt other people. They go out in the wilderness to see what all the commotion is about, but they are way above this little country pre preacher. They don't think they need anything that he is offering. They rest on their laurels of pedigree and education to remain above reproach. Particularly in the Gospel of Matthew, John the Baptist does not hold back any punches for these religious leaders, you brood of snakes. And just as I start to get a little smug about this exchange, silently cheering on John to let him have it, the Holy Spirit tugs at my heart. Aren't I also the Pharisee who is sometimes full of pride and judgment? Am I producing good fruit all the time, or do I too need to repent? Just like the Sadducee, I pretend that I'm better than I am, hiding my sin, putting up a front, desperately in need of the saving grace of God through Jesus Christ, just like everyone else. Friends, if we don't see ourselves as these guys, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, we'll miss half of the Gospel of Matthew. In 1 Corinthians 10, 11, the Apostle Paul says to the Christians, these things happened to them, and they were written down to instruct us. So the message for all of them, for us, is to confess our sin and repent so that we are prepared to receive Jesus the Christ. It's like shoveling out the barn and laying fresh straw so the Christ child can be born in us. When John the Baptist yells, get your life in order, the kingdom of heaven is near. The time to turn towards God is today and every day. Rabbi Elizer taught his disciples, repent one day before your death. And one of them asked him, well, well, how will we know when that day is? To which he replied, all the more reason to repent today, 
lest you die tomorrow. Perhaps we repent to do our part in being right with God, to cover us for that unforeseen accident or unexpected death. However, I strongly believe that the grace of God will carry us and our families through the trauma of any unexpected death. I really believe that we repent of our sins so that we can experience the kingdom of God here on earth way before we ever get to heaven. We pray in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We repent because it empties us of the junk and makes room for the new thing that God is doing in our lives. John the Baptist shouts out in the wilderness, prepare the way, the Lord is coming. Well, maybe his message is so strong and loud because of the impact it can have on our life. If our preparation consists of patience with ourselves and others, if our preparation consists of prayer, humility, the courage to confess, and the desire to have our hearts beating in rhythm with God's heart, can you imagine what our world would look like? When we're on the right path, we find that what God loves, we love, and what breaks God's heart breaks our hearts. As we repent and release the sin that takes up way too much space in our lives, our hearts and our hands are open, and then we have room to receive that new thing that God has planned for us. I want to share with you a brief poem written by Jan Richardson. Ancient one who makes all things new, may we receive with gentleness and touch with hopefulness and protect with fierceness and love with tenderness. And may we celebrate with gratefulness and welcome with humbleness and tend with great gracefulness all that you give into our care. John the Baptist impatiently says to you and to me, repent of your sins, turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Prepare the way of the Lord. It's your move.
Friends, it is my hope and prayer that this week that each one of us will have the courage to confess and to truly repent so that we can make room for the new thing that God wants to do in us and through us. And now may the beauty of God be reflected in your eyes, the love of God reflected in your hands, the wisdom of God reflected in your words, and the knowledge of God flow through your hearts so that all might see and believe. And all God's children said, Amen.